Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy and Matthew. Okay, we're going to be in both of those, so you can uh, put a finger in one of those those places and turn to the other. We're going to start off in Timothy. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And just a reminder of where we are in the Scripture, what we've been doing. Remember, we have been walking through... Uh, church membership. What the, What is church membership? Why do we do it? Um, what's expected of us as church members? Um, so we talked about beginning. We talked about the fact that the church, by definition, by name, is members, right? Church just means a, a group of people that's called out. Ecclesia, people that are called out. So by nature, the church is members, right? It's the people of God from all generations, from all times, all places, right? But that universal church ends up getting expressed locally. Um, There's a visible, tangible, local expression of that so that we can live out the one another's of Scripture, right? Love one another, bear one another's burdens, care for one another. Those things are lived out primarily, uh, uh, very visibly in the local church, And then, how does someone become a member of the local church? How does somebody become a member of the church? Well, they are, first they believe, then they're baptized, right? They believe in Jesus, they're born again, trusted in him for salvation, and repented of their sins. Then they're baptized and make that public. And that's how you become a member of the church. There's not a bunch of hoops, there's no uh, membership fees, there are no extra things that you have to do. It's simply confess your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and make that public by being baptized. But then what's required of a church member? What's expected of you if you are a member of the church? If you're a member of the church, what's expected of you? Well, you attend regularly. It means you come as often as physically possible to the gathering of God's people um, so that you can worship with us and so we can testify to the Lord. So you attend regularly. You serve willingly. Um, You use the gifts and talents God has given you to bless the people in your life. Third, you, uh, you give generously. And you can see how all three of those are an act of stewardship, right? You steward your time in coming to the church. You steward your talents in, in how you serve the church. And you steward your treasure, your money that you have, uh, in giving it to the church to, to further God's ministry, further God's uh, work. Um, and then fourth, last week we talked about pray intentionally. Um, that we talked about how when we bear one another's burdens, one of the primary ways that you can experience That is by praying for somebody else. Because when you pray for somebody else, you are taking that affliction on. And when that prayer is answered, you experience the answer to prayer through someone else as well. And those people are doing that for you as well. And we come to this fifth fifth expectation. This fifth and final expectation is this. Guarding the gospel. Um, Guarding the gospel. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. How many of you can testify that raising boys is a little bit different than raising girls? Yes, so my two boys, we had both of them. All, the only thing that was on our playlist on TV was Pokemon and Transformers. Like, that's all that there was. Um, but now, our watch list is a little bit different. Their Pokemon and Transformers are pushed to the side. Now, little sister has princess, 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 princess. She wears princess dresses. She plays with princess toys. She carries around princess blanket. She loves princesses, especially Beauty and the Beast. I, I promise you, I have seen Beauty and the Beast more times in the last six months than I had my first 34 years of being alive. She watches that dude over and over. She, didn't even, she used to not even call it Beauty and the Beast. It was just Beast. For some reason, she just, I want to watch the Beast. It, how many of you have seen Beauty and the Beast? 
Everybody know the story, right? Let's recount that. So uh, what happens is this rich, young prince um, is, is very selfish and unkind. All he thinks about is himself until one day he gets visited by this enchantress in disguise. She knocks on the door, asks him for help, and out of his selfishness, he blows her off and ignores her, laughs at her. Then she reveals herself to be that enchantress, and she curses the prince by turning him into the beast. And she also enchants a single rose. And she says that that, that rose is going to bloom until his 21st birthday, and then by then all the petals will have fallen off, and he'll be stuck that way forever. So what does the beast do with that flower? Because that flower that he's given represents his, really his, his hope, right? The, the, the thing he puts his hope in is that he can get somebody to love him before that flower all, loses all its petals. So what does he do? He puts that flower under a glass vase in a wing of his house that's way off over there. He guards that rose with everything that he has because he knows that's his only hope is that the, the petals stay on there until he can find love. So he's protecting, he's guarding that rose so that nothing happens to it. That's what we need to do with the gospel. We need to be thinking, how can we best protect and keep the gospel intact so that as we share it with the world, as we live it out in our lives, uh, it can do the work it's meant to do? Because just like the beast, he said, I have to set this aside because if it gets damaged, I've lost all hope. If we damage the gospel, if we mar the gospel, if we stain the gospel, our chance, our hope of being a gospel witness is ruined. Now, to be clear, we can't ruin the gospel. It's unruinable, right? It's always going to be true, um, no matter where it is, because the gospel is what goes out into the world. But we can ruin our gospel witness. So, therefore, we need to guard the gospel with every ounce of our being. Guard it so that we can live that gospel out. Church members are called to guard the gospel we're going to look at two spheres, personally and corporately. Personally and corporately. So first, let's look at personally. You have been handed the truth. Church member, you have been handed the truth. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. It says this. I hope to come and see you soon, but I'm writing these things so that, uh, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory." So this is Paul writing to his friend Timothy, telling him how the, the people of God should act in the church as, as the people of God. And he calls the, the church the pillar and buttress of truth, the pillar and buttress of truth. What that means is that the church is the one single organization in the world that holds the gospel. There's no other organization in this world, no matter how good it is, the United Nations, the, the Red Cross uh, of America, no matter how good uh, an organization is, it doesn't hold the gospel. The gospel is given to the church. Therefore, we are the one pillar, the one buttress that holds that truth up in the world. 
If, if, you, if, if, if a person's out in the world and they're shopping for truth, this is the place they need to come for that gospel truth. So therefore, if that's, if that's on us, if we are the people who hold up the truth, then we have to realize that and be intentional about doing it. We have to live the truth that we have been handed. We have been handed this truth and we need to hold it up. If we fail to do that, there's nobody else holding that truth up. So you should know the truth, right? That's the first step. You need to know the truth. You need to know the gospel that you're preaching. That's why Paul, after he says this, he gives a nice little poetic poem right there at the end, talking about how Jesus was manifested in the flesh. This is, this is one of the, the first tenets of the gospel, that there is a God who created all things, including you, and you're responsible to him. But when we mess things up in the garden, when we mess things up in our life, he doesn't just leave us. In our sin, he doesn't just leave us cast out, but he comes to us. He did that in the form of Jesus. He took on flesh and became like us. And that true, and after he became like us, after he lived that perfect life that we couldn't live, he died a sacrificial death for us in your place as a substitute. It was supposed to be you on the cross, but he said, let me die in her place instead, in his place instead. And then not, not only did he die for your sins to pay for those, he was dead for three days and rose from the dead, vindicated by the Spirit, as the, as the passage says. He was raised from the dead. So he beats death, or he beats sin and death on your behalf. And now he's taken up into glory. And what is he doing there? Right now he's pleading on your behalf before the Father, saying, forgive them, forgive them. I've paid for their sins. Forgive them, forgive them. That's what Jesus is doing. That's the gospel truth that we get to proclaim to people. And we need to know that gospel truth. Do you, have, do you feel that burden on you to say, hey, I need to know the truth that I'm teaching. I need to know the truth that I'm proclaiming. If you don't feel that burden, you need to feel that burden. You need to say, hey, I need to know this book as well as I can so that when people come to this book and need help understanding it, I can do that because you're the one that's holding up the truth. That also means defending the truth at times as well. All you've got to do is get on Facebook or YouTube or TikTok or whatever and, and scroll through some of those videos. You'll come across somebody, some atheist, that will be giving you some kind of argument against the Lord that's going to at first sound convincing to you. Some, even you Christians who have been Christians for a long time, you'll come across somebody making an, arguments to, uh, an argument against God and you'll be tempted to think like, well, shoot, that makes a lot of sense what he just said, right? We can even be tempted to do that as, as committed followers of Christ. Think about the world out there. They're going to hear some of these arguments and, 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 and never turn back to the Bible if we're not going to be faithful to defend it. So as you hear arguments presented against the Lord, against his word, be faithful. Say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a defender of this truth. I'm going to be a guard of this gospel. I'm going to know the book because if you don't know the book, it's really easy to be knocked off the book. See what I'm saying? If you don't know the word, if you don't know the gospel that's been given to you, it's going to be really easy for you to get your legs swept out from under you and not believe it. So we need to know the word. And we need to hold up the word. Sorry, know the truth. And we need to hold up the truth. That means share it with other people. We need to be taking that truth to the people in our lives. So we know the truth. We hold up the truth. And we should live the truth. You guard the gospel by the way you live. You guard the gospel by the way you live. 
And I don't say this, this uh, example to be, um, to be gossipy or whatever, because it's very, very public knowledge. There was a, a very famous um, apologist. An apologist is somebody that defends the faith. Okay, somebody who, who argues for Christianity. Um, he was a very, very popular apologist. Listen to him. Some of his arguments were really, really good. I, I love listening to this guy. Um, so he, he was really good at speaking the truth, saying like, hey, I believe this truth. I defend it. But it was found out in his life later on that he had a lot of um, sexual inappropriateness. Um, it came to light. And all that good word that he had about defending the truth, what happened? Knocked out from under him. Why? Because his life didn't line up with the truth. He was guarding the gospel with his word, but he was not guarding the gospel with his actions, with the way he lived his life. The way you live your life guards the gospel, Christian. The way you live your life out guards the gospel. Now, there's two places where I want you to live this out, okay? First and foremost is your home. The first and foremost is your home. The, prime, the, the, the first place you need to be living the gospel out is with your, your spouse and your kids. Those people that see you day in, day out, every single day. Um, a lot of times when we come home, we, um, we let loose, right? We feel like, I'm home, I can take my shoes off, I can let my guard down. Honestly, what we should do is be putting our guard on even more when we get home because that is where the real game happens. That's where, the ser- that's where you really need to be living out this gospel truth. And I'll be the first to tell you, home is one of the, it's the most important place you need to live the truth, and it's one of the hardest places to live the truth, isn't it? It's really hard to live the truth at home because those people see you all the time at your worst. Uh, and when you're feeling, when you're tired, um, when the kids are loud, when you've been at work all day, whatever it is, it's really hard to be on your best, uh, put your best foot forward once you're at home. It's hard to do that, but that is our primary, that's our first place that we need to be living this gospel truth. To our spouse, treating them the way Christ would have us treat them, and our children, raising them in the way Christ would have us raise them. So do that in home, but I also want you to live the truth in society. Not just in home, but also in society. What that means is all the places outside the four walls of your house and the four walls of this church. Places like School, work, your extended family. That means Thanksgiving coming up. That's hard. That dinner table, that Thanksgiving dinner table, when politics get brought up, it's hard to live the truth there, right? Uh, In the public square, when you're in the line at Walmart, when you're in the line to pick up your kids at school, when you're standing in the line at the movies, when you're pumping your gas, wherever you are, you need to be living this truth. That includes your interactions on social media. The way the things you post on social media, the way the things you watch on social media, all of these things in society, you need to be living out that truth. Your, the, what you say needs to line up with what you believe and how you act. Live that truth out because as you live that truth out in your home and in society, not only do you guard the gospel, but you also proclaim the gospel. Not only do you guard it, you also proclaim it. Your actions the way you live out the gospel, your words, the way you teach the gospel, it's proclaiming and guarding it. So that's what we do personally. So if you're a member of a church, that expectation is, hey, you need to guard the gospel. You've been handed this truth. It's in your hands. Take care of it. Guard it. It's precious. Don't drop it. Right? Just like a, just like a running back that's been handed the ball, they do not carry the ball 
like this, right? They shouldn't, right? Anybody who's ever coached football, if, if, you're, if your wide receiver, your running back's running around with the ball like this, you get on them, right? Because it's going to get knocked out of your hand. How does a running back carry the ball? Three points of pressure, right? Here, here, and against your body, right? Sometimes you even throw an extra hand up there. You guard the ball all that you can so it doesn't get knocked out of your hand. Guard the gospel, church member. If you're a member of a church, you've been handed the ball. Guard it. Guard it. Don't fumble it. That's what it looks like personally to live out um, this guarding of the gospel. But how do we do that corporately, meaning as a body of believers? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Give me a moment to turn over there. Matthew 16. So if in the first one, like when we're thinking of guarding the gospel personally, if we've been handed the truth corporately, we've been given the keys. Corporately, we've been given the keys. Let's look at what that means. Look in chapter Matthew chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's at this point in his life where in, in just a few chapters, he's going to lay down his life uh, uh, in, in a sacrifice coming up. Um, the next chapter, he's going to um, be transfixed. Um, this, is a, this is an important part of Jesus' ministry. He's sitting with his disciples, and he asks them a question. He says, what, do, what does the world say I am? Who do you say to them? Let's read this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's going to come with a lot of answers, right? The world, the people out there, have a lot to say about who Jesus is. Verse 14, they answer, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, and others one of the prophets. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, their uh, representative, speaks up and replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys... To the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples not to tell or to tell no one that he was the Christ. So in this passage, we have Peter making this confession, right? He says, I believe you're the, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter, in some sense here, is a representative of what it means to believe in Jesus. Similarly to, similarly to like the Old Testament, when God called Abraham, called Abraham to himself, changed his name. It was, it was Abram. God changed it to Abraham, and he was then some kind of representative of that people. Jesus is doing that with Peter here as well. He calls Peter to himself, changes his name from Simon to Peter, and Peter then is a representation of the people of God. The kingdom of God is made up of people like Peter who believe that Christ is the Son of God. Believe that Christ is the Son of the living God. And upon that, Jesus will build his church. Upon that confession, upon people who make that confession theirs, that's how Jesus will build his church. And to that people, to the people who, who, have been revealed, who this truth has been revealed to, Jesus says that they have the keys. What do keys do? 
Keys let you into something, right? Keys give you access to a place that wasn't uh, given to you before. So Jesus is saying, I'm giving the church the keys to the kingdom. I'm giving them, this organization, the ability to point people how to get to heaven, how to be with God forever. And then he says this, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. The things that we speak as the church are things that will have been bound in heaven. So this passage is what it's saying to us. If we boil it down, there's this truth that God has, there's this people that God has made. Um, God has uh, these people who are confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. To those people, the keys of the kingdom have been given. Those are the people who are in some sense get to say who's in and who's out. Who's in and who's out? Now, what I don't mean by that is we're, we're the ultimate judges. That's not what I mean. But what I mean by that is we have the gospel, and as we share it with people, we give clarity to what that gospel means so that they can know, am I understanding it properly? So, for example, if you share the gospel with somebody, and they come back and say, so what you're saying is I just have to work really hard and do all these good deeds, and God lets me in based on what I've done, we should say, no, that's not... That's not the gospel. Here is the gospel. And you give them the, the right answer, right? So you are bringing clarity to that gospel. You're guarding it in that way. If they come to you and say, hey, God lets us in and blesses us based on the amount of money that we've given in our life. And that's how we gain entrances to heaven is be the, the top giver on the list. No, that's not the gospel. So as, as the church, we're the ones who clarify the gospel and tell people what it is they need to believe. And we also give affirmation to that profession, right? When, when we baptize somebody, what are we doing? We're saying, brother, sister, we've heard your testimony and we believe that testimony. You're believing the gospel that we believe. And as we baptize you, we're bringing you into the body of Christ, right? We're bringing you in. We're affirming that public profession that you've made. So church, we're called to be the key holders. Now we're giving keys not to keep people out, but to bring people in, right? That's the desire. We give, we're given the keys so that we can open the door of the, to the kingdom of God for as many people as possible. We open the door for as many people as possible to bring them in. So what does that look like on a practical level for us? What does it mean for us to be the key holders? Well, I think for you guys, for, for church members, and this includes me as a church member as well, there's two things you need to, two, two people, two peoples you need to hold accountable. Okay, we need to hold each other accountable in this. One, you hold your pastor accountable. That's me. You guys hold me accountable. When Paul writes to churches and talks to them, or when, when Paul, in Paul's letters, when he writes about false teachers, most of the time, he's writing and addressing the congregation, saying, hey, watch out for the false teachers. You, the church. He doesn't write many letters specifically addressed to pastors. He does the Timothy and Titus, right? Other than that, it's to the church. And when he speaks to the church, like in Corinth, Galatia, Philippi, Colossae, all those churches, he speaks of false teachers, and he says, church, be on guard against them. It's your responsibility to make sure that this pulpit has the gospel coming from it, the true gospel. That's your responsibility as church members. So that requires you to know the gospel. If you're going to hold a pastor accountable for the gospel, you have to know the gospel yourself, right? Be familiar with it. Um, familiar, familiarize yourself with God's word so that you'll know when something um, that's not right is being taught. Um, I... I 
I've told you guys this before. One of my favorite movies is Independence Day. It's a Will Smith movie from back in the 90s, um, back in his heyday. I love that movie, and, and a weird trick that I have, I can like quote the first 30 minutes of the movie. Like I've seen it so many times, I know it. So if you were to hand me um, like the manuscript of that movie, or if you were just to play the... I could tell you, oh, that's not, that's not a line from the movie. Because I've, heard, I've watched that movie so many times, for some reason, I just have it memorized. I just know it. Um, you need to be like that with the, with the gospel as the words being preached, whether you hear it on the radio or, or watching a YouTube video or especially here, as you hear me preaching, you should be able to say, yeah, gospel, gospel, yeah, that's true. That, wait a second. Is that true? Is what he just said true? And then go fact check it against the word, right? Because I'm not infallible. This is. I'm not. And I may not deliver it properly at times. I pray that I do most of the time, but there are times when I'm going to teach something that's not right. The only problem is I'm not going to know what that is until after I've taught it, and maybe some of you point that out. That doesn't mean you need to um, come to me after every sermon and, 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 and grill me. I'm okay with that. That's, that's fine if you want to do that. Um, that might be, get a little bit tedious and tiring for all of us, but it does mean you have the right to say, Pastor, I heard you say this. I don't see that in Scripture. Can you help me? Can you help me? Because I'm, I'm tasked with guarding the gospel. I want to make sure our church is a church that's preaching the gospel. You have the right and the responsibility to do that. So you need to hold your pastor accountable. But second, you need to hold members accountable. We hold one another accountable for the truth. We're going to read one more passage. Go to the, go to the right a couple places, or a couple chapters, to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read through this quickly. Matthew chapter 18. So when Jesus says, hey, I've given you the kingdom of the, key, key, the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, how does that practically work out? Well, Jesus kind of gives us a practical example of what that looks like as we hold one another accountable. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, the ecclesia, the called out people of God, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. You hear that phrase again. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So Jesus presents us with this concept of church discipline. Church discipline, the idea is if a brother has sinned against you, if a brother's not living according to the gospel, you're to go to him personally and privately, say, hey, this is what's happened. This is how I, I've, you sinned against me. If they don't listen, then you bring somebody else along with you, talk to that brother. If it, then they won't listen, you bring it up before the church to let them hear it. And if at, that, if at that point that person won't listen, then you remove them from the membership. Now, that to our 21st century modern ears, that does not tickle. That really hurts, right? We do not like that concept, right? As, as maybe, you're, maybe we're feeling tension kind of build up in the room already. Like, 
What are you saying? We remove church members. Is this loving? Is it biblical? That's the question we need to ask about this. Is it loving and is it biblical? Well, let me break the tension with a silly example. Let me ask you this. If you're at a dinner party or maybe you're at church, right? And there's some broccoli in your tea and your wife or your husband does not say something to you until you're in the car going home. Um, are you going to be happy that they didn't judge you? Or are you going to be like, bro, what are you doing? I, I was smiling at the president of the convention and I had broccoli in my tea, right? You're going to be upset. If your spouse says, hey, I noticed your fly was down during service and I didn't say anything to you. Are you going to be upset that she didn't say something? Yes, you are, right? It's actually loving for them to point that out. Let me, t- let me go from a silly example to a serious example. If you had a sickness in your life and your doctor knew about it, if you had cancer and your doctor was like, I just don't want to tell them. I don't want them to feel like I'm judging them. Would you be upset with that doctor? You would because you need to know. You need to know if something in your life isn't the way it's supposed to be. And it's actually loving to let them know. It's loving to let them know. If someone is living in such a way that shows that they're not a believer, they need to know that. You need to go to them personally and say, hey, brother, I'm seeing this in your life. There's a pattern that's going on here, and I don't see it lining up with Scripture. You tell them that in a loving way, with grace, with patience. Notice, Jesus is giving a one-time like kind of statement on this. This obviously gets carried out in a more nuanced way, right? But Jesus, even in this passage, is saying, you don't just bring it before the church, like call people out from Sunday morning from the pulpit. That's not Jesus' process, right? It's a loving, personal, slow process, right? It's not just kick somebody out for one sin. It's, hey, we let's work through this. This might take months, years even, as you're working through this with a brother or sister. But whatever it is, the purpose of church discipline in here and other places we see it in Scripture is twofold. One is the purity of the church, so that gospel will be guarded. And two is the salvation of the individual. Both here and when it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians, the concept is, hey, if you share this with them and they hear you, then you've gained a brother. Corinthians says... You, you, you remove them from membership so that their soul might be saved, so that they can understand. Because how do we treat people that are removed? Well, you treat them like somebody you need to share the gospel with. What do you do with somebody you share the gospel with? You love them. You visit them. You talk to them. You bring them dinner. You invite them to church. Like You treat them as, an, as a non-believer, but that doesn't mean you dislike them. It means you love them sometimes even more. right? You, you put more attention on them. A lot of damage has been done by pastors and church members in the past who shouldn't have had those positions, shouldn't have had those titles. What I mean by that, there's pastors who have abused the pulpit and used it as a, as a place to put their opinion out there, and their church should have held them accountable. And they've done damage to the kingdom because they weren't held accountable. In the same way, church members have done damage to the kingdom because they weren't lovingly talked with about their sin in their life. And if we're going to be a people, as I think we should be, that guards the gospel, we need to be holding up that truth, right, as a pillar, holding it up and proclaiming it to everybody and living it out. And we need to help each other do that with accountability. You've got to help me and make sure I'm preaching the gospel. We've got to guard the gospel in that way. And also we need to hold each other accountable to say, hey, I want to see the gospel lived out in your life. I want to see the gospel lived out in your life. 
Which brings us to this picture of we have a God who's not only a God of purity and holiness, right, who, who wants to bring uh, wrath against sin, but he's also a God who pulls in the person who's wandered off. He is the God who goes after the one, uh, who leaves the 99 to go get the one. He, he is the God who brings in that broken, sinful person. So in talking about all of these things this morning, we're not talking about, hey, let's find out how we can get rid of as many people as we can. No, we're saying let's bring in as many people as we can because that's the God that we have. He wants to bring more people into this fold. He wants more sheep and he wants us to be people who hold one another accountable and restore people into that position. So as we head out today, as we leave this place today, I want you to realize the ball's being handed to you guys. Guard it. The gospel's being handed to you. Guard it with all you can. Share it with as many as you can. Uh, Protect it as much as you can. And then we'll be a church that follows the Lord. Let's pray.